Welcome to another episode of Mindfulness for the Soul. This is John Salomparis. Uh, today, I am being joined again by my colleague and co-producer on the next This Is My Brave show, Karen Pickett. We are going to get to her in a minute. She is also a licensed psychotherapist here in Los Angeles. Um, and before we begin, um, just wanted to remind you all that um, the charity that we uh, work for and we are producing a show for is called This Is My Brave. They can be found at thisismybrave.org, and it is a 501c3 nonprofit that is passionate and dedicated to ending mental illness stigma. And we produce shows throughout the country where people with mental health conditions tell their story live on stage via comedy, via song, via dance, via monologue. The next show is going to be in Los Angeles, September 25th, 2022. We hope to see you there. And again, if you want to check us out, um, this is my brave.org or on Instagram, this is my brave LA 2022. Okay, today's subject is going to be calming mind and body, deactivating the threat response. And, you know, the mental health treatment industry has grown exponentially in the last few decades. There's no shortage of therapeutic modalities for every type of psychological condition from anxiety disorders to drug and alcohol addiction to major depression, even to treating severe trauma. However, science and research has recently discovered that many current therapeutic interventions are not always effective without a self-regulation mind-body component that addresses emotional reactivity and the organism's built-in survival mechanism called the threat response, which we're going to go deep into with Karen in a minute. So we're learning that one of the most crucial missing links to helping people reduce distressing symptoms is by preceding the many varied modalities with the fundamental skill of self-modulating the central nervous system, or again, deactivating the threat response. So without addressing the body's threat response, um, the body continues to dysregulate because previously exposed, people previously exposed to therapeutic interventions that only address thoughts and feelings haven't gotten there yet. So because all forms of emotional trauma get encoded in the senses and not in conscious memory, our sympathetic nervous system stays in threat response often when we are startled that easily. So just to define it, what is self-regulation? Self-regulation is the ability to manage disruptive emotions and impulses and be able to soothe and calm the body's reaction to stress by self-modulating effective sensory and somatic responses. Self-regulation is also the ability to interrupt the threat response while fully engaged in activities of daily living. And again, the threat response is whatever prevents you from getting hit by a car whatever makes you go to the doctor when you feel sick. The threat response is there to protect you, and it's been there through the millennia, and um, it has its purpose. But because we live in a different world than our cave-dwelling ancestors, we have to find ways to modulate it. So I want to introduce uh, Karen Pickett. Or actually, she's going to introduce herself, um, and she's going to join in the conversation. So Karen, please introduce yourself. Hi, John. 
Um, this is Karen Pickett. I'm a licensed psychotherapist here in Los Angeles and co-producer of This Is My Brave show uh, coming up in September, as John mentioned. Great to be here today. Thank you for being here with me. And so Karen and I both work with severe anxiety disorders, phobias, panic disorder, OCD, trauma, and we use a lot of the same techniques, but everybody does it in their own way and puts their own twist on it. And I know Karen has had a lot of success working with uh, people that suffer from uh, anxiety and especially panic disorder, which is uh, the most relatable to this. Um, so Karen, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You know about self-regulation. You know about, you know, the anatomy of what happens when someone gets really, really anxious. But you mentioned that you work a lot with somatic intervention, relaxation and breathing. Tell us some of the techniques that you use and that are the most effective. Yeah, well, first, I, you know, I just wanted to uh, say a little bit about the threat response, you know, as you were talking about that it is a part of the survival mechanism. And I think that it is such, it's something that maybe hasn't been discussed enough. So, so great. You've thought of it for this podcast um, because it doesn't have to be just related to trauma. Uh, you know, what, what, I guess what most of us think of as trauma, um, the threat response can be going off, you know, sort of underneath the surface when someone is experiencing any kind of anxiety, whether it's a panic attack, OCD, et cetera, right? I mean, do you yes. agree? Yes, and, and I yeah. should have been clear about that. We're talking about any kind of emotional discomfort, um, basically with having extreme fear, anxiety, excessive worry, that is still the amygdala, the fear center in the brain um, shifting into threat response. So it could be I just got broken up by somebody, or I lost a parent, or I'm worried about the pandemic, or I'm worried about uh, worried about a, a final tomorrow in school. Anything that stirs up that fear and threat response. Right, and certainly, I'm tired of the pandemic, and here's another variant, and oh my goodness, you know. So, you know, we've all been in this state of hyper arousal for two years, you know, and so I think pretty much everybody could could relate to this or could uh, benefit from you know knowing about this. So, one of the things that I talk about with all of my clients, and I think sometimes you know they kind of roll their eyes because it's like, oh, you know, I, I hear this from my doctor, I hear this kind of stuff all the time. But you know, we're talking about um, the fact that uh, you know the the body's threat response sort of gets stuck on, and how do we get that to quiet down, to, to turn off, to relax the body so that the mind can also relax. And that really is, you know, takes somatic interventions, which are interventions that involve the body, as opposed to interventions that involve the mind. And while CBT interventions, cognitive behavioral therapy interventions are important in processing emotional and mental aspects of trauma, uh, somatic interventions directly target the reduction of physical symptoms, including the threat response. So again, the most basic of somatic interventions, which I encourage all my clients to practice, and this goes back to the eye rolling is you know, just doing the basics that are healthy functioning of the body, getting enough sleep, getting 
you know, exercising, eating a healthy diet, you don't have to be perfect, but eat well, limiting intake of alcoholic and caffeinated beverages, you know, again, doesn't have to be all or nothing, but limit it, you know, uh, smoke less, do less drugs, etc. Just all of the basic things that go into a healthy lifestyle in terms of the impact on the body. Those are where people can start and do very simple somatic interventions that are definitely setting the foundation for starting to calm that threat response. Nicely said. All right. So yeah, so somatic symptoms or interventions are about focusing on the body, how your body feels when you're anxious, right? Correct. Not necessarily. Uh, so in other words, changing your emphasis or at least your interpretation of why I'm palpitating or why I'm having labored breathing that I'm in threat response and not really in whatever imagined danger that I'm in. Right. Okay. Exactly. And differentiating and being able to differentiate between those two. Yeah. Good. Good. Exactly. Um, all right. So yeah. So threat response also reminds me of I remember reading in a book where someone said that when people say, you know, I'm going crazy or I'm about to lose it and they're super, super panicked or fearful or anxious about something, it means that, you know, the amygdala has gone off and the executive brain functioning um, has gone offline. So we don't do our best thinking. We do anxious and fearful and action oriented thinking that sometimes is over the top. But as you can see, it's there for a reason to protect us. And so what that does is that wires us for protection and worry instead of connection. It separates us from people. It separates us from reality sometimes. And so you're saying the somatic interventions and other ones we're going to talk to bring that natural stabilizer back online and um, bring the executive functioning back. I think that's what you're saying. Exactly. And, you know, when you think about the threat response and this as the, you know, it's, it's the survival mechanism, what do we call the, the, you know, survival me mechanism? We call it fight, flight, flee, right? Yeah. Fight, wait, fight, flight, freeze, right? That's right. You know, and those are all actions, right? As you were mm -hmm. saying, like, those are actions. And so the body gets stimulated to do an action, whether it's mm -hmm. fight, flight or freeze. And so again, that's one of the reasons that somatic interventions are so important because somatic interventions are actions that you're consciously doing with the body that are uh, sort of, you know, counter to these uh, survival mechanism, threat response things that get, that get set off when uh, anxiety or trauma has been experienced or a reminder of that. So, you know, one of the foundational skills for, in addition to the healthy lifestyle skills that I mentioned, the foundation of somatic interventions is diaphragmatic breathing. So some people call this uh, belly breathing. Um, if you do yoga, it's the opposite of the fire breath, which is quick and shallow which is also anxious breathing. <laughs> so diaphragmatic breathing is slow and deep and involves breathing from the belly. So not from the chest, it's from the belly. And it's a very powerful way to relax the body, which then sends relaxation signals to parts of the brain involved in the threat response. Again, as you mentioned, primarily the amygdala. 
So slowing down and deepening the breathing increases the amount of oxygen that, that goes to the muscles. Um, again, which in turn helps decrease that muscle tension and anxiety and increase calmer thinking, as you were talking about helping to reactivate the prefrontal cortex. Um, so just for example, there, there are a lot of different kinds of diaphragmatic breathing. Some people do what's called five, five, which is five in five out. That's a good one. Um, the one that I teach is called four, seven, eight. This is Dr. Andrew Wiles, um, original, uh, originated this type of breathing. And I love it because it's, it's four breaths in through the nose, holding while focusing on relaxing any tension in the body and then exhaling through the mouth for a count of eight. And you do that four times in a row. So it's four in through the nose, holding for seven while relaxing the body and eight exhaling through the mouth. And one of the really interesting things about the four, seven, eight breathing is that it really slows and deepens breathing and increases the elimination of toxins through the body. So often uh, in this, when people are uh, in, you know, are stressed or anxious or are in some way their threat response has been turned on and they're unaware of it, then very often they're breathing either shallowly or they're holding their breath. You know, and when I start working with clients and we start talking about breathing, I'm like, just notice if you, do you think you hold your breath? And they're like, no. And then the next week they'll come back and, and they'll be like, you know what? I've been holding my breath. I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised because that's part of the freeze response. And then the body sort of gets stuck in this freeze response of not breathing slowly and deeply. So what happens when you're not breathing slowly and deeply, you're breathing shallowly and quickly, you put your body into a state of mild hyperventilation. And mm. that is another stressor on the body. And those symptoms feel just like anxiety. So it just is up, up, up with the anxiety. So this four, seven, eight breathing, the inhale is four, the exhale is eight. So it's double the, the you know, in for four, but exhaling long for eight, really getting those toxins and pushing all the breath out of the body so that you can take a nice deep breath in on the next inhale. That's why I love the four, seven, eight so much. So, uh, and again, that's just one, uh, you know, it takes, it takes like 92 seconds to do four, four, seven, eight breathing. And one time I saw on online that it was called the be best body detox you can do. Uh, I like <laughs> it. Well, and so many variations to that. There's the seven eleven as well. You know, you hold it, you hold it for seven and you exhale for 11. Ah. I kind of do a seven fifteen because like you, I ah. love the exhale. When I exhale, I also uh, whisper some kind of affirmation that helps for me. Like it's okay to let go of this, John, or oh. everything's going to be okay on the exhale. And as we know, the exhale is what helps to, well, they're both good, but the exhale has um, more efficacy with bringing the parasympathetic nervous system, the natural stabilizer back online, as I mentioned before, because in the moment, the amygdala which is the fear center, which again um, is connected with the executive functioning, it's wired for survival at the moment and it's not wired for logic. So mm -hmm. you're not thinking very clearly. And you know, 
millions of years ago or thousands of years ago, you know, they had to think a lot quicker than we have to do now, or maybe not. That's arguable at this point. But um, the other thing I wanted to mention is, and I want to get a quote out of, I want to read you a quote from a, a very good book about what we're talking about, but it's primarily about trauma, but it's very relatable. It's called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Mm-hmm. And what he says is that we now know that panic symptoms are maintained largely because the individual develops a fear of the bodily sensations associated with panic attacks. The attack may be triggered by something he or she knows is irrational, but fear of the sensations keeps them escalating into full body emergency. So when people say I was scared stiff or I was frozen in fear, we are learning that it's not so much the context anymore that they're afraid of, but it's, as you mentioned, the bodily sensations that are making them so uncomfortable So hence, by focusing on the body more, it actually helps to reduce, as you just described. So, yeah, I mean, I remember when I used to have panic attacks, my God, it felt so, so, so unsettling to me that I had like a panic hangover afterwards because my heart pumping the way that it was, my lungs pumping the way that they were, made me so uncomfortable and made me so tired afterwards that I would do anything not to ever feel that way again. So it's important to look at how it's really so much about our fear of these bodily sensations and how we can um, help to um, habituate to those thoughts a little bit better. And that's why that quote is so great. So um, again, less about the context and more about how I'm feeling and hence I can um, initiate self-regulation. And again, it could be, it doesn't have to be something incredibly adverse in our lives. It doesn't have to be something you know, absolutely catastrophic in our lives. It can be small things. Um, so, all right, so let's move on to the next one. So there's a couple of other things that you mentioned here that are really helpful. And by the way, the relaxation and breathing you described really, really well. I hope people can benefit from that. And hopefully as they're listening, they're practicing their breathing as I was while you were talking, because I could certainly use that today. Um, so you also mentioned another type of uh, technique Well, you mentioned ACT, A-C-T type of therapy, but we also talked about mindfulness practices. Any others like that that you'd like to talk about? Grounding techniques. Can you describe those for us too? Sure. You know, and I just wanted to say as a great quote um, that you mentioned, and uh, I can certainly relate to that quote because, um, you know, when I was a homebound agoraphobic, it was mostly my fear of having uncomfortable physical sensations that kept me at home, you know? So, um, so you're right. And that's such a good point, John, you know, that becoming desensitized to the body's sensations is a large part of what is important and reparative in um, this, this somatic way of healing uh, the threat response. And so some of the really uh, po- popular and, and effective um, ways of doing that include, uh, you know, things like yoga, progressive muscle relaxation, Tai Chi, and also mindfulness practice. So what is it? I just want to take a moment and define mindfulness, because I, I think sometimes people go, well, you know, what, what is this? Is that just meditation, you know, and um, Mindfulness is actually 
um, being aware of what's happening in the present moment without judgment or negative reaction. And it's in the, in this case for the body sensations, it's observing what's happening in the body in the present and accepting things as they are without trying to change anything. And, And it's a paradox that actually positive changes happen as a result of accepting things as they are. So mindfulness practices can involve actually the breathing exercises that we just talked about, but also can involve things. I loved what you said about when you did the exhale, you say a a self-calming, self-soothing, but true statement to yourself. And grounding techniques are uh, an example of mindfulness techniques where one becomes very um, conscious and attuned to what is happening in the present moment and just accepting it as it is. And, And also affirming the truth. So saying something like right here, right now, all is well and I am safe. That's a grounding exercise Mm. that brings a person into the present moment and affirms that nothing bad is happening now, even though the threat response may be making me feel anxious and disturbed. I can soothe that by telling myself, okay, that's going off, but you know what? There's no threat right now. I look around, there's no threat. And that just like saying that to yourself helps to start soothing and calming the body. But can I just say too, and that's really great to hear too, because remember, if the mind is wired or the amygdala is wired for survival and not logic, then Mm. since logic goes out the window, Mm. we're not thinking clearly. And so we immediately start believing our thoughts as reality and mindfulness helps you separate the thoughts from I'm sorry, from what you're thinking to I'm just having thoughts because I have an anxiety disorder or I'm really about to die. There's a huge difference between the two. And that's big, a big part of the desensitizing, which is using the mind as well. But I know we're talking about body, but the mind part follows when the body starts to do that as well. If you can, if you, if you learn how to bring your body sensations down, the mind will follow. Exactly. And, uh, you know, if you learn, uh, as you were saying, like that, we can't ignore the mind's uh, part of this. If you, if you can use your mind to help also relax the body, um, then, you know, by saying something so soothing or calming, then that's, uh, that's very important as well. Um, And certainly, you know, um, a mindfulness practice that we can't overlook is meditation. Um, whether it's uh, a guided meditation, um, a calming visualization, or just even a quiet self-guided meditation. Um, you know, there's, there's been so much research, and I, I think this is one of the reasons there's so many apps on, on a phone now for, you know, for doing meditations, because it works. It's not, it's, yes, they, they make money, but yes, it works in scientific research has validated the effectiveness of mindfulness practices on improving psychological well-being what you know re- improving mood decreasing anxiety mm-hmm. but also physical health for instance including re- reducing heart disease decreasing cognitive decline improving the immune response so you know the m- mindfulness is does include that mind body connection and um 
being uh, mindful, developing a mindfulness practice is maybe you spend even five minutes a day meditating. Like I tell my clients, like, hey, if you're doing five minutes a day, but you're doing it every day in, you know, a month, two months, three months, you're going to be noticing the exponential positive effects of that. So, you right. know, start out small, but keep going because the effects on the body is you're teaching your body to quiet down and for you to just be present. And like you were mentioning to notice, oh, you know, I just felt a heart palpitation. And my thought is, oh my God, what if I'm having a, a heart attack? Right. And so when you're in a calm space where again, that executive functioning is online, even though the amygdala flares up with, oh my God, what if I'm having a heart attack? The, the logical mind can go, no, it's just noticed I was just having a heart palpitation. And I just noticed that was a thought, a fear-based thought. What if I'm having a heart attack? But I've had heart palpitations before. This is no big deal. Breathe in, breathe out, let that go. <laughs> yeah. There's such a big difference between, wow, I'm stuck in threat response and I've been here for about an hour. <sighs> big difference between that and my life is over. Uh, or the pandemic yeah. is going to, you know, make the U.S. government crash. All of that stuff. Um, huge, huge difference. Uh, another good definition from the Mayo Clinic about what mindfulness is, is the practice of purpose, purposefully focusing our attention on the awareness of the present moment as it relates to our thoughts, feelings, and sensations in our body and in our sense of the environment around us. And then another quote, not by the Mayo Clinic, is mindfulness is the capacity to identify and observe negative thoughts and feelings in the here and now by responding to them more reflectively instead of reactively. Remember, reflectively instead of reactively. It doesn't suggest that discomfort is a good thing. It just says that it just simply is. But again, the discussion today is about getting the body to catch up to the mind I'm sorry, to get the body first to calm down so that the mind can catch up because we're noticing that the mind shift is not enough unless you can get the body deactivated. And also getting back to meditation, a lot of my patients and me as well, we balk at meditation because mm -hmm. some people say, I don't want to be thinking about my, my negative thoughts so much, or I don't like quiet moments because quiet moments bring out more, you know, over magnification of those negative thoughts. So I say three minutes in the morning, three minutes in the afternoon, and three minutes in the evening of just doing the diaphragmatic breathing, whether it's right. 7-11 or the 4-7-9, that's a meditation in itself. And right. if your mind wanders, just bring your mind back. And you can even do what's called um, sensory perception. I will say, notice you know, the feet, I'm sorry, the ground under your feet, notice the chair under your butt. Notice what you're hearing, what you're smelling, and your mind wanders, and then just non-judgmentally bring it back. Three minutes, three times a day. That is not a lot. It's so, so easy to do. And that will generally bring the central nervous system down because if you look up trauma and emotional trauma, the definition is, is when your sense of safety and security is compromised. Mm -hmm. But in reality, many times, as we know, people's sense of safety and security is not compromised, but their negative thoughts make it seem like they are. So we have to help bring the body back online 
by obviously rationalizing these things, but also to calm the palpitations and to calm the labor breathing. Exactly. You know, and, and one of my favorite grounding uh, techniques, as you were just describing sort of those, you know, breathing and noticing the body, noticing your butt in the chair, your feet on the floor is I love to have my clients close their eyes and just notice five things they hear. And, it, and it's, it's, it's just so because the eyes are closed, there's no stimulation coming in visually. And really just paying attention, like I can hear my refrigerator humming. I can hear a door close outside. I can hear a bird chirping. You know, it's like, and oh, I exactly. love to do that because I just open my eyes. I feel so relaxed. <laughs> yeah. Another technique that I use, and there's tons of books on this too, is progressive muscle relaxation. Mm -hmm. So if you literally take both your fists and you tighten them really, really hard for 30 seconds until it starts to feel a little annoying, your mind has been drawn to your fists. And then once you let go, it feels so good to let go because you've been tightening for 30 seconds that for the five seconds that you did that, uh, I'm sorry, for the five seconds after you let go of your tightening fist, your mind has shifted and actually feels nice. You can do that with, you know, turning your right torso when you're sitting in a chair to the right where your, you know, your bottom torso stays. So it's a, it's a, it's a side and hip stretch. You can do it by um, lifting your arms in the air. Um, you can do it by lifting your feet up and down, and um, you can do it with your legs. So it's tensing muscles, focusing on them, and then letting go of the tension and focusing on it. That not only um, relaxes the muscles, but it also takes your mind elsewhere because typically the mind cannot be in two places at once. Right. So I have people do that with me. I have, I say, you can do that in a board meeting. You can do that mm -hmm. you know, when you're driving your car, you can do that mm -hmm. anywhere. Just exactly. Immediately get your mind to focus on your body. And what a great metaphor for letting go, right? Yeah. You that's tense right. and then let go. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, if you do do those things for 30 seconds, it's kind of like, ow, my ankle hurts now. But then once you let it go, it's like, ah. It feels kind of nice. Okay, so what other body can I, what other part of the body can I do this with? And you just move around to your body, and that that helps the process. Yeah. Um, okay. You also mentioned ACT ACT. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, great. I was just going to ask you had a few minutes to chat about that because acceptance and commitment therapy is uh, sort of the third generation of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and it, it has taken mindfulness-based uh, concepts and incorporated them into cognitive behavioral therapy. And I love ACT. It's been hugely transformational in my own life. And I find that it works really well with my clients. They usually love it as well. And one of the things that differentiates ACT and, and that relates to what we're talking about today is that. The goal of ACT, as um, I'm just blanking on his name, but <laughs> Stephen Hayes, who's the founder of ACT, says um, 
you know, and I did, I did a workshop with him once and he was like, you know, the goal he had on these corduroy pants and he's like, the goal is not to feel better. The goal is to, and he was, then he was like rubbing his hands on the corduroy. The, the goal is to feel everything better, be a more um, engaged human being, be allowing to allow yourself to feel, you know, every conceivable feeling, um, not, not to overwhelm, but the point of act is really learning to get comfortable with uncomfortable thoughts, feelings, memories, physical sensations that are a normal part of life. We spend as humans so much time trying to feel good and be happy and not feel uncomfortable and not have those uncomfortable body sensations numb out from them or numb out from our mind. And really the freedom is when you realize, hey, uncomfortable physical thoughts and feelings um, are part of being human. And if I, if I learn how, as you were mentioning earlier, to not react, but to choose how to respond to I these see. uncomfortable thoughts and feelings. And that's really what the focus of ACT is. Um, and again, it's, it's this incredible paradox where when you start letting go of trying to control everything, guess what? Your life becomes so much better. <laughs> and, you know, mentally it's hard for us as humans to, to, to think that that is true, but it is true. It happens and it's happened in my life and many, many other people's lives. So again, you know, related to what we're talking about today, it's really getting comfortable and being able to notice and name, as you were saying earlier, oh, okay, I'm noticing that, you know, I had this twinge in my stomach, you know, oh, and I'm noticing I'm having the thought that maybe it's appendicitis. And I'm noticing I'm having the thought that, oh, no, it's, it's probably just something I ate earlier. And so I can just take a deep breath now and just move on from that, not start spiraling out and all these anxious thoughts about what's wrong with my stomach and therefore making the stomach hurt even more mm -hmm. and getting into that whole vicious, you know, downward, you know, black hole, <laughs> rabbit hole, you know, so, so I love ACT and, and it's uh, emphasis on mindfulness techniques, as we were discussing earlier and incorporating those again into also the cognitive behavioral therapy, the, the work with mind, with thoughts and feelings. Good. I like, I like the, the choice to, to work through that. All of this is hard work. If it was easy work, you and I wouldn't have a job and um, there wouldn't be all of this great you know, information, data, and therapy out there. But you're right. I think that all of us are very attached and have an aversion to, I'm sorry, all of us have an aversion to discomfort. And we, all, we are all attached to feeling good. And we all want guarantees and nobody likes uncertainty. So when I tell people, you know, I'd like you, I'd like to help you develop a different relationship with discomfort. Most of the time I get, or John, take a hike, buddy, because I'm here for you to make the discomfort go away. And I always say, I can't do that for you. I can help you relate to it differently. I can help you have a different relationship to it. I can help you respond to it differently, uh, but I can't make it go away. And if you do learn how to make it go away, please tell me, please let me know how to do it because I'll do it with you. But we don't have a pill for that yet. We have antidepressants. We have anti-anxiety medications. 
But as we know, those just take the edge off. Those help us cope a little bit better, but it's not going to make the discomfort go away because life is how it is. And, um, you know, unless we want to both live in a closet and they can feed us food under the door, um, you know, there's really no way to be free of that. So, all right. I like this act thing. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a new twist. It is a little paradoxical, but it's a new twist to it because I don't think a lot of people know a lot about that. I think everyone comes with, again, the, um, the, the, the bias or the commitment to, yeah, to, to, to make, to help make them feel better immediately. And of course that is our job. And most of the time, uh, you know, we are pretty successful with helping them manage it better, but again, to make it extinct is a different story. Yeah. That's called death. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and we just want life. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. A more fulfilling, engaging life. And, you know, just one other thing about act is that when you take the energy when a person takes the energy that they've been spending uh, sort of whinging and being upset about the fact that they have uncomfortable physical sensations, you take that energy, which is called struggling with what is, and you just move into acceptance. You let all that energy of struggling go and your suffering immediately goes down because struggling, there's suffering and then struggling, struggling doubles your suffering. If you let go of the struggling and just go, okay, this is what's happening. How can I deal with it? You've immediately cut your suffering in half. And I always tell my clients, that's not to say, if you're walking down a street and a piano is about to fall on you from a 10 story building, you don't just stand there and go, huh, look at that piano falling on me. You know, it's of like, course. Right. no, you do reasonable things, you get out of the way, but you know, uh, things we can't control as you were talking about, you know, oh, my, you know, I twisted my wrist or I've got an upset stomach or I've got a migraine or whatever. Like, yeah, you do what you can for that. But if you're pissed and angry and upset that you have to deal with this, you're just adding to your suffering. And that's, that's a big part of the focus of ACT is stop the suffering and put that energy somewhere that's helpful and useful to you. Yeah. And we know, look, we know that emotional distress, anxiety, fear, sometimes trauma too. We know it short circuits the brain and hijacks it to abnormal levels. We know that it's like fear on steroids. We know how bad this can get. We know that there's hyper arousal and, you know, and, and as I mentioned before, we also know that this separates people from other people. They, they hide more, they isolate more, hence the protection instead of connection. So, you know, what people, what I hope people will take away from this is that try to get into the conversation in your head, try to start using the language of when I feel uncomfortable, I'm in threat response. And it's my job for the next five or 10 minutes to find ways to use the grounding techniques to commit to the act theory, um, to use the relaxation breathing exercises, to also use the progressive muscle relaxation and to focus on the somatics of your body, which is, oh my God, what's happening to my lungs and what's happening to my heart and my mind is spinning and I'm sweating and I feel like I have to get outside. So there's just so much more compassion and so much more, um, it's so much more humanistic to start looking at yourself as somebody that's stuck in threat response because for whatever reason, 
your uh, executive brain function has gone, gone offline. And all you have to do is try to bring that back. It's not about trying to fix the world at that moment. It's not about, oh my God, I got to get a new job or, oh my God, I got to move to another city. No, in that moment, for the next five minutes, can you let go of the control of needing to fix whatever you're trying to fix, unless it's a piano falling on your head, <laughs> and just get into the uh, somatic experience of what's going on. That's being mindful. Relax the body. Relax the body. That's being mindful. And that is also um, giving yourself the best shot at finding ways to do this alone, because not alone, but without all of these other types of interventions, because as you know, a lot of people are very averse to medications, although I'm not. I think that if medications are, um, uh, are indicated here, it's important to take them so that you can get your life back. Yeah. But I know people gain a lot of confidence when they themselves learn how to deactivate the threat response on their own. And they go, oh my God, I did that by myself. It was a really, really tough 15 minutes there or maybe a tough 30 minutes, but you know what? I did it. And so mm -hmm. if I can do that now, I may be able to do that again. And then that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you start to build a lot of um, self-regulation skills, which is exactly what we're talking about. Well said. So we've covered a lot of ground and there's so much more we could cover. There are so many other angles, but because we are a limited podcast, we're probably going to start wrapping it up here. Um, and um, yeah, so again, you can find me or ask me questions or send me an email. I'm at um, johnsalamparis.com. If you have questions for Karen, you can reach her at karenpickett.com or is it Karen? PicketMFT.com. It's KarenPickett.com. Okay, so but we both have it with just our names, um, and um, yeah, please uh, think about um, yourself more, not just in you know needing to decatastrophize or deescalate your thoughts, but try to see it more, or in addition to um, with um, somatic experience and deactivating the threat response. So. Karen, thank you for being with me yet again. A pleasure. Appreciate, appreciate you thank having you. having you always. In a few weeks, we are going to do another podcast that's going to be about spirituality and psychotherapy. Karen is going to join me again, and that's always going to be that's always an interesting subject because I think there's a lot of confusion with the two. The two don't have to be exclusive; they can work together. And we're going to talk about how to do that because I know spirituality. It's very important for most people in the world. Um, so that's it. And uh, check us out again with our 501c3 nonprofit, This Is My Brave at thisismybrave.org. Thanks for listening to another episode of Mindfulness for the Soul. This is John Salim Paris. Take good care.